HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street. Do you need a conference room for your next meeting? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. This week on Meet and 3, it's our season four finale, and we're sharing some of our greatest kitchen joys. Maybe most people consider making it too much work or too messy, but this is the food that's worth the work and worth the wait. You always know where the thing is because you put it away the right way the first time. You just sort of stand there and, you know, with your hand on your hip and one leg outstretched, glass of wine in your hand, staring into the refrigerator going, okay, speak to me. Oh, yeah. What are you doing with the celery tonight? I'm making a simple syrup for a gin cocktail with the celery. And I also found a recipe for a celery soup that's going to use up the celery and the potatoes and some of that dill that we still have hanging out in there. (laughs) Tune in and be inspired to find the joy in your kitchen. And don't forget to subscribe to Meat in 3 wherever you listen to podcasts. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load Knows that country music's gonna save your soul The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues That's him It's gonna get you sun in the air Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther Teague. I'm Greg Benson. Hey, buddy. Hey, dude. It has been a long time. I know. What is it, like two years, three years since well, we were last here together? Two months. Ah. But it seems like longer when we're apart. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, I was down at Tales of the Cocktail. Were you there? I was not there this year, no. Why not? Um, well, didn't get a new season of Bar None out. Plus, I was uh, ramping up the busy season at the old at the old place. And I was leaving the old place. So yeah, I you left. Wanna... Mm-hmm. I did. I'm out. I'm free. No longer at the Rochard. No longer at the Rochard. De- devoting your time to working on your podcast, which is... Uh, um... When when's the next season going to begin? Ah, uh, well, I actually have some uh, some news about that. I don't want to. I have a release date. I'm going to play it coy. I'm not going to tell you guys what the release date is until next week. But uh, okay. before the end of the year, before 2019, we're going to finally get some new episodes out there, which will be spectacular, outstanding, and people can already still go listen to the previous episodes, right? Yep, we're on uh, iTunes and SoundCloud, and on our website as well, uh, barnonradio.com. So go and check it out. It's a great podcast. You know, I really enjoy what we do here. Uh, which is um, just live chat, uh, unedited. But I also really enjoy listening to your show, which is the opposite of that. Very high production value, lots of uh, skits and comedy and information. <laughs> like it's like a vaudevillian radio show. You know, you got like a Foley guy back there making clip clop sounds for a horse running by or whatever. 
Thanks, man. Well, yeah, it's been. Uh, it's I, I was I was fortunate enough to have a roommate in college who both is uh, a, a technological wizard and has perfect pitch. So when I tell him, it's like, I want to do this, but have it be kind of like, you know, like a old school nineteen fifties diner theme, but with echoes of Blue Oyster Colts, Go Go Godzilla. Can you make that happen? He's like. Yeah, I'm on. yeah. I'm on. and honestly, he does it on the phone with me. He's like, "Yeah, give me two seconds," and I hear him click like, like two keys. And he's like, "How about this?" And it's perfect. Yeah, that's great. That's great collaboration. Then, oh, it's amazing. Um, well, I was down at Tales of the Cocktail. I was very busy. That's why I asked if I even saw you because I was so busy. I wouldn't have known if I did. <laughs> I worked five events while I was there. I uh, sat down with uh, eight different people and recorded eight different episodes of, of the Speakeasy Podcast while there. Uh, we've already played a couple of them. We got several more queued up, but uh, we want to get back live in the studio today. Um, then I flew down to New Zealand where I, whew, man, I did a lot of work in four days while I was down there hanging you out. You were only there for four days? Four, well, I was there for almost five, but, but I did four afternoon events and four evening events in four days. Damn. And then, and then the last day I had a little bit of an opportunity to go check out some of the sites in Auckland, but we were down there at, um, the Ponsonby Social, uh, club doing, uh, Eat, Drink, Love Ponsonby. It's like a big event that they do in, in this neighborhood. It's kind of like a restaurant week it's bars and restaurants. It's crazy. It was a lot of fun. Damn. Then flew back, and then, of course, <clears throat> as I am wont to do, I am opening another bar. Um, <laughs> so we've been doing uh, very silent uh, preview nights. Uh, we got uh, today is, is Wednesday, September 11th, so we're doing a preview night tonight at, uh, at the new location of Amori Margo, second location. That's at 188 Havermeyer in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, just at the foot of the Williamsburg Bridge. And then tomorrow night uh, at 6 p.m., we will be live. So we've been doing preview nights for the past four nights, and tomorrow is live. Congratulations, man. A lot of work, um, but super fun, and I'm excited to show people another, you know, another Amori Margo. And at this one, we're going to be able to bring back a whole bunch of stuff that we, that we had to kind of neglect at the old one because we got too busy to do it, right? So we used to do classes. We can't, we can't do them anymore at the other one, so we're going to bring those back. We, we used to do, uh, um, you know, two weeks notice, which was a monthly event where we did cocktails paired with snacks uh, as a, you know, featured night and um, buyouts. We can't do them at the old or more, but we can do them at the new one. So a lot of things that, you know, kind of got swept under the rug are going to be resurfacing. And, and of course, brunch, which I know you're just itching to bring back at the uh, oh double buzz. <laughs> yeah, we, our hashtag was fuck brunch. It's not. <laughs> there's no brunch involved. It was a drinking. You know, brunch is where you uh, eat some food and drink a little. Double buzz is where you drank some drinks and ate a, ate a little. That sounds like brunch to me. I don't. I don't. No. I don't see the yeah. difference. That's not how it goes. It's not a meal. It's a, <clears throat> it's a series of drinks. Yeah, never less than three. Um, well, in the studio today, we've got uh, our dear friend uh, and uh, uh, spirits writer for the New York Times. That's the local paper. Oh yeah, the here, local paper here in New York. Yeah, how are they uh, doing? Good. They're doing all right. Yeah, hope uh, they make it. <laughs> plucky. They're a plucky bunch. <laughs> uh, Robert Simonson, welcome back to the studio with us. Ah, thanks. Good. Glad to be here. Man, it's always happy to see you. Um, you always have like great stories to tell, and uh, you know I, I follow you on uh, on your social media as well. And, and we've been pals for for some time, so it's yes. I'm always happy to see you and hang out with you. And um, you're here because of your lengthy career. How long have you been at the New York Times? Like a, 15 years, 16 years? Well, I've been writing uh, for them since 2000, but I've been writing about cocktails and spirits uh, since 2006. Yeah. Wow. Or is it, wait, 2009? I get mixed up. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, so about 10 we're all, years. We're all uh, getting up there. <laughs> writing about the cocktails. Speak for yourself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. And I think that, that that particular length of time is surely, you know, you've seen a, a, a sea change in what goes on in, in the world of drinking and drink culture. Yes, yes. No, 
I saw it all, or at least it feels like I've seen it all. I mean, I've been covering this so long that um, there have been many, many generations, many, many changes. You've seen them too. Yeah, I mean, how... Um who was who, was there was your position even a thing before you took it in what do you say 2009 well my position is a freelance writer so oh. i don't know if i have an actual position i always, over I, at I always refer to you lady. as the spirits writer i just assume that was your position that is, i made it up that is, that is that is how everyone refers to me they always call me the uh, the cocktail columnist and i always answer where's my column can you find it yeah. um, so i just i have just written a lot of articles over the years outstanding yeah um, but but I guess then my question is still holds is was there anyone doing that before or did you sort of spearhead that, uh, that not ang- to, that angle? There were some people. Um, uh, William Grimes, the great food sure, writer, yeah. um, he covered. Uh, he wrote some of the earliest uh, stories having to do with the cocktail revival uh, when he was covering Dale DeGroff at the Rainbow Room and things sure. like that. And of course, he he put out his his great book. Um, and then there were. Um, there was a, a column, uh, Shaken and Stirred, um, that was uh, written by uh, a series of different writers over the years. So mm-hmm. they always had somebody there, but I don't think anyone has done it, um, I don't know, to the extent that I have or as long as I have. Right, and as regularly, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've been doing it for this long, I have to hope that you enjoy it. Yes, no, it's, uh, I, I, don't, I don't lie to anybody. It's a great job. I'm glad I have it. It's good work if you can get it. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> like you you yeah. roll into you know, all the bars and you get to see, you get the previews, you get the, you get the, the, the behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I get to hang out with uh, fine people like you. Ah, you just buttered me up because you're on the radio. Um, <clears throat> and because we're drinking whiskey. So let's talk about that. Over that course of time, like, uh, what... Uh, like, give me some some highlights. What's the, what's some of the coolest bars or things you've seen? Like, you know, uh, is there is there something that jumps right out to mind over that course of time that, that was like, man, this was really unique and interesting, whether it still exists or not, because that's also the nature of our business. We're pretty ephemeral. It is pretty ephemeral, and it's felt that way uh, recently because, I mean, like, uh, the... Drinking the, lasts forever. The our cocktail, businesses do not. Yeah. <laughs> the cocktail revival is a little long in the tooth at this point, and so we've actually seen some of those important bars uh, close, mm-hmm. like uh, Milk and Honey, which arguably started it all, is is gone and has been gone for years now, and Flatiron Lounge, that closed last year. I'm always very sad when these things close. It's just like a little chapter in the cocktail revival, and I, I wonder if... Um, if the efforts of you know those bars and those bar owners and those bartenders will be remembered, I hope they will be. I mean, I'm, obviously they are. You know, through us and through through books that are out there and, and through you know the lore uh, of all of us talking about it. But uh, you said you know milk and honey arguably started it all. But I mean, Angel Share was around for longer than that. And even even you know the late Sasha Petrosky uh, mm-hmm. admitted that they were his inspiration. Yes. He, uh, why he, do you uh, think they don't get as much attention? No, they don't. Yep. Um, he borrowed a lot from Angel Share. He always admitted that. Yeah, and Angel yeah, yeah. Share is still there. We all admit that, right? Yeah. I think, uh, what's, the, what's the quip about writing? Like you, like, what, good, good writers borrow, great writers steal. Yeah, yeah. I, th- yeah. I feel it's the same in our business, right? Mm-hmm. We steal stuff from each other like thieves. Yeah. yeah, but whereas Angel Share uh, inspired one other bar, Milk and Honey, Milk and Honey inspired a hundred bars. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. That, that makes more sense to me. Because I love Angel Share, and, and I, I, too, forget about it sometimes, you know, and people will say, oh, you know, Death & Co's been around for the longest. I'm like, Angel Share's twice as old. Yeah. It's 25 years old. Yeah. Damn. It's an and astounding achievement in New York City. For any kind of business. Yeah. Shoe salesman. That's right. Right. Um, and, yeah, and they recently expanded as well, right? I haven't That's been to the right. expansion. Neither it's, have I. It's only open on the weekends, I'm told. 
because uh, you, you literally have there. to be led outside, back down the stairs, next door, up some stairs. You're, you're right through a wall, but you have to go out and in again. So when, so when the first bar fills, they start filtering people over. Ah, the speakeasy model, it never dies. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, I, I have trouble with that, though. Why do you think it is? And here I sit, I'm a hypocrite, right? But I, didn't, I inherited the show when I came on with Damon uh, in the title of the show. I don't like the term speakeasy. You don't? I don't. I feel like it's somehow celebrating what is arguably a pretty terrible time in our history. Mm-hmm. Like, people died at speakeasies. The government poisoned the booze, and people died. Why do we, why do we romanticize this, you think? Uh, the concept of the speakeasy has been handed down over the years, and it's been distorted and romanticized. Yeah. I guess the whole... Um idea of mild illegality, you know, kind of breaking the laws that were not good laws to begin with. Secret places, everybody always likes to believe they could get into secret places and belong there and, you know, have the password, have the pass key. And so that's what we think of when we think of the speakeasy. We don't think of bad booze. We don't think of like toxic gin. shooting people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, these places did not serve good liquor. And right. so, I mean, the speakeasies of, speakeasies of today, they, they just take the hidden entrance and the hidden location. That's all they take. Sure. But the drinks they're serving are from, you know, the 1890s and the 1910s. And that right, right, right. Far mm-hmm. before we, then there was any need for a speakeasy, right? pre-prohibition. Yeah. Um, but obviously the model appeals to the public or they wouldn't keep opening Oh, them. for sure. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the, 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 I just don't like the word. Like, let, I don't know what else to call it. But, like, I love when I go to a bar that's transportive. That's what I call them. It's transportive. Okay. I'm on the streets of New York City. Maybe I pass through a different thing. Uh, I, just mm-hmm. went to a, I just went to one recently that's on the same street as the new location of Amori Margo. And you're in a juice shop. You know, you get a juice smoothie or whatever. Yeah. And there's a cooler door in the corner. And you pull on the cooler door. And you're in the bar that's about the size of Amori Margo. Pretty sizable, in my opinion. And it's all mezcal, so it's just a mezcal room. <laughs> I like that. I like being like, I went from one place through another to get to the thing. Now I feel yeah. 100 miles away from New York, right? Yeah, somebody should compile a list of all the different kinds of businesses that we pass through to get to a bar. You know, yeah. there's a barber shop, <laughs> a then florist, there's a bar. Uh, yeah. There's a laundromat, then there's a bar. You know, there's a deli, then there's a bar. Sometimes there's a bar, then there's yeah. a bar. <laughs> yes, the bar within the bar. That's a, a new, very common setup. And I think, a, you know, somewhat new. You, did you ever get to go to... Um, it was called Between the Sleeves at Experimental Cocktail Club. No. I don't know if you recall, but you walked in the door of ECC, and you would turn right or left, and it was two different rooms. But right in the center was their coat check. And if you walked through the coats hanging there, there was a small bar in the back that seated six people. This was the one in <laughs> New York City, the yeah, short-lived yeah, yeah. one? Yeah, yeah, the short-lived one here. Ah, uh, no. Between the Sleeves. Between the sleeves. I don't know. you got to be in the know, Robert. Yeah. You're well, there's so many secret bars pounding, you can't possibly you're know. You're not pounding the beat hard enough. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. What do you think about that? Like, how to... As a business model, it seems pretty foolhardy to, like, I opened a business. I put all my money into it. I'm betting the farm on the thing, but I don't want anybody to know about it or where it is. <laughs> well, that's just the way to get them interested. Yeah. FOMO. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you tell people they can't have something, they want it. Well, that's exactly what prohibition That's why was, everybody right? wanted to go to Milk and Honey, because Sasha Petrasky didn't want anyone to come. Yeah. yeah. And that was the whole notion of uh, prohibition, right? Like, you, you want to make something delicious, prohibit it. Yeah. Yeah. Pro- exactly. Prohibition is the most flavorful sauce. <laughs> Today, uh, what was it? The the FDA just said, I 
just saw something about this on my phone, but like they're weighing banning flavored e-cigarettes. So in my head, I was just like, well, those sales are about to go through the fucking roof. <laughs> right, all right. of a sudden, every, it's going to be the cool thing. Like everyone's going to be like, oh man, you got that, you got that fall maple flavor. Right. <laughs> yeah, the, man, that one's been out of stock. That one, that one got cut. Yeah. Um, it's vintage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pre, pre what? I don't know. Um, well, let's talk about some of that sort of trends that are happening right now. I just read two articles in two days regarding the... Okay, so first of all, mostly what we talk about on this show is like nerdy-ass cocktail stuff. And that's kind of what we're talking about today already. Yes. But <clears throat> what is it about the... You keep calling it the cocktail revival. I've always called it the cocktail revolution. And I've also always, uh, in the past five or six years, come to the conclusion that we won. You know, I think it was... Yes. Dale DeGroff said... I'm probably paraphrasing him here, but the one word that I'm going to definitely get correct was, was I'll show you, is he said, uh, he said, the cocktail revolution will be over when we can get a decent Negroni at the Howard Johnson's in Des Moines, Iowa. I think we're there. Yeah. No. So we've won. We have won. So we finally got everybody we won like over. like a few years ago. Yeah, exactly. It's Five over. Or six it's years. over. So finally... I mean, the cocktail revival is actually history now. Sure. Yeah. Right. We, we live in it. It's not, the event is over. The war, the war is over. The war is won. Yeah. So then, what is it that's... <laughs> I, I, I read two articles and reposted them on my social media uh, in, in the past couple of days about how White Claw... Oh, White Claw. ...sold 287% more of their product this year than last year. And that the, the title of the article that I read was White Claw Shortage Nationwide. Uh, yeah, I read that. <laughs> I think that was on Grub Street or something. <clears throat> yeah, that there Daily was a Beast shortage. Or one of them, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of taken off. Um, I actually, I have never tasted White Claw. Have you? I haven't yet. Uh, I will. I'm yeah. not afraid to taste that stuff. It's, um, it's like, pretty what good. Do you <laughs> it's pretty good. What do you reckon? Yeah, I knew you had one. You probably got one in your bag. <laughs> I'm right the resident now. millennial. Of course, I have to. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was the moment that I realized that it had gone wide. Was I? I was on some kind of text thread with my family. And one of my cousins in Madison was talking about, like, it was the beginning of summer. He was going to put out the boat and crack open some White Claw. And I yeah, went, man. oh, my God. Yeah, it's, it's gotten all the way back home. Well, that's the thing. Uh, here we are. We say yeah, we won. And what are we going backwards? Uh, well, how are we going backwards? I don't know. Um, I think the... Um, I mean, you're I've, the one I've, with your finger on the pulse of all this stuff. I've always said that, like, the cocktail movement goes in all directions at all times. And some of us, some of it's going forward, some of it's going backward. I mean, there are all kinds of people out there, and they have all kinds of tastes. Yeah. And, you know, you can give them a perfectly made Manhattan, but they may actually want, you know, spiked seltzer. Yeah. So if you can't stop them if they want to drink No, that. nor do I want to. I, yeah. I, don't want to, I don't want to put my flag in the camp that says I want to stop them. I've always said everything, everything has its seed in the Pantheon. Right. You know, and we can... The joke I make to sort of fine line it is I say, let's talk about this over lunch. I'm feeling fish. You want to go to McDonald's or La Bernadette? They both serve fish. Yeah. Right? It's, what's your expectation? You know, are you just looking to get your buzz on? Man, maybe those white claws are the way to go. Are you looking to have a refined cocktail and maybe not even get a buzz on? Well, maybe that's that Manhattan, right? I don't know. Well, the whole point of the cocktail movement wasn't for it to supplant or replace anything. Right. Like tell beer drinkers to drink cocktails instead or wine drinkers to drink cocktails instead. It was just to bring cocktails back to where they could be so that they could compete on that on that playing field. So it was another option. Sure. Somewhat standardizing the notion of this is how good things should be, right? Yes. Yes. I dig it. Mm-hmm. Well, we're right here at the time we should take a break and hear from our sponsors. We're going to come right back and keep talking to Robert Simpson about your new book. Yes, The Martini Cocktail. The Martini Cocktail. We'll be right back. Well, if I could 
This episode was brought to you by 100 Bogart, a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, with meeting and event spaces available for on-demand booking. Looking for the next perfect outdoor location for your next gathering? Host your next event at 100 Bogart's impressive rooftop, just steps away from the Morgan L stop. It's one of the largest and tallest roof spaces in Bushwick, boasting 360-degree views of Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Queens. 100 Bogart's rooftop is available for your next networking event, fundraiser, special performance, or photo shoot. There's approximately 5,000 square feet, ample space for up to 100 guests. For more information on hosting an event at 100 Bogart's rooftop, email info at 100bogart.com or call 718-362-3539. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Jimmy Carboni, and I'm the host of Beer Sessions Radio here on HRN. My show is an audio ale salon celebrating the world of craft beer, cider, food, and more. Through discussions with industry insiders and knowledgeable beer fans, my friends and I explore every aspect of the brewer's craft, from grains to pint glass and tasting to toasting. You can find Beer Sessions Radio wherever you listen to podcasts and on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You know, it yeah. eventually crashed. And we are back with Robert Simonson in the studio here. <laughs> <laughs> Had some really, it almost Heritage came to blows. Radio We're still network. talking about White Claws. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. heated. Still, it's still trying discussion. to figure out that White Claw. Hint of, hint of lime. <laughs> <laughs> Just a splash. <laughs> Just a splash. Uh, I haven't tried one, but I absolutely will. Uh, you know, I've, I'll try anything. I'm not afraid. Um, and, you know, I, maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised. I do love bubbly water. That is my almost the only thing I drink besides alcohol. So here's bubbly water with alcohol in it. I love it. Let's do it. Um, but we're back. And we're going to talk to you <clears throat> about this book that's right here in my hand, The Martini Cocktail. It says, uh, A Meditation on the World's Greatest Drink. Uh, the world's greatest drink. That's a big claim. You're staking your flag on that hill? Yes, I am. I think there's no denying that it's the most iconic cocktail out there. All right. It's Does that the make it the co- world's greatest? Uh, <laughs> greatest in many terms. I'm not saying you I know gotcha, it's gotcha. the best cocktail, the best tasting cocktail, but in terms of achievements in like in cocktail in the cocktail world, sure. it's hard to deny what the martini has achieved in this world. Yeah, uh, it, it, I totally agree. It's iconic. You can recognize one from a thousand feet away. It is the one cocktail that everyone knows. It's the one cocktail you can draw a squiggly line of and everybody will recognize. It's the one cocktail that's on every it's you the know, one old school neon sign. Yeah. And you understand that this place serves cocktails. Like For it is, people who don't know what cocktails are, they look at a martini and they know that's a cocktail. Right. Well, I also think it's the first cocktail that anybody knows. I mean, I remember, like, you know, I, I, I loved James Bond when I was, like, you know, 9, 10, Ugh. 11 years old. And... That's, oof, I've stepped in a landmine here. Yeah, James, James Bond, a touchy up. subject when it comes to martinis, <laughs> especially but, when you're talking to cocktail purists like us. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, Lord knows he's not, he doesn't have a perfect track record there, but he is responsible in a large part for that iconic thing, you know? Can I, I mean, just remind like, you that he is a cartoon character? He does not exist. <laughs> he, I mean, I don't know. So I don't care what he drinks. He doesn't exist. <laughs> But 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 All he's right, but, he's but, a but. large part of culture. I mean, absolutely, like, yeah. Absolutely. He's yes. the first. He's a lot of people's first introduction when they're kids to seeing like you know oh this is this is what adults drink. Yes, especially if they're cool. Well, yes. sure, he and was not cool. At all fictional. Yeah, he was cool. He was swarthy. He was you know stylish. 
right? He, Sophisticated. He made the drink look good, while at the same time the drink made him look good. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The way, and it's that the way you hold that. it, the glass that it comes in, like the whole pomp and circumstance. And I think that's a lot. That's a lot for cocktails. Yeah. I talk about not how in the book that you, exist. if you write about the martini, you can't get away with not discussing James Bond, I mean, which is very annoying to me. And so me the, the chapter on James Bond in the book is the shortest chapter in the book because I just want to get it over with. Well, and, you know, I followed your suit or you followed mine. In my book, there's one page devoted to it, and it's a, t- it's a chapter called Bond, Lame Bond. That's right. And it's one page, <laughs> <laughs> and it's me picking apart James Bond because right. uh, he doesn't exist. He's a cartoon character. Um, but uh, but I, I can... I think no one doesn't agree with the fact that he had influence over that drink, but that drink went on, you know, past him uh, to still signify like style and grace and elegance and, you know, uh, we can, and, and also before him, right? Like, what about the Thin Man movies? The Thin Man, you know, movie. Myrna Loy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the most setting up six martinis in front of her so she could catch up, right? Remember that was in the opening <laughs> scene. <laughs> How many of you had? I've had six, and she looks, bartender of, set uh, me up with six. <laughs> in terms of like uh, bringing cocktails back after Prohibition, I think that was the most important film because cocktails were throughout that film. They were drinking them constantly. Oh yeah, and what they drank mostly was martinis, yeah. which is interesting because in the book they don't drink martinis at all. There's a lot of scotch. So wait, you're saying that oftentimes books and movies are different? This is correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. I get it. But yeah, they were, you know, shaking up cocktails in the classic shaker of the time, which is, mm-hmm. does that thing even have a name? I collect them and I don't even know what they're called. That weird... It's cocktail shaker? Predates, is it just cocktail shaker? Predates the cobbler, predates the Boston, mm. you know, the, the one that's... I'd have to see a picture of it from the film. The one that but, looks uh, like a coffee pourer, basically. Oh, yes, I know what I you mean. I have ten of them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they're called. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying I see to picture the movie them. in my mind. Yeah, well, um, you know. But, uh, Shake yeah, a Manhattan no. to the Foxtrot. You shake a martini to the two-step. <laughs> uh, that, that film was like a 90-minute advertisement for martinis. <laughs> yeah, it kind of was. <laughs> well, so why, so why was that? I mean, why, if, if the martini doesn't even appear in the book, what, what do you think made the screenwriter, do they just really like martinis? That's a good question. I think they, they wanted to make a Nick and Nora Charles. Nick and Nora Charles, I mean, the book is, is not as lighthearted as the, the film. You know, they wanted to make them, you know, fun, fun-loving, stylish, sophisticated, you know. And, and of course, you know, uh, drinking cocktails helps that. Shows, that telegraphs to the audience that these are the kind of people you want to hang out with. Yeah, you, uh, off the air, you, you uh, regaled us with a little blurb from the book about a, a guy who, who felt that the martini was so stylish. You want to you read that little excerpt for us? Oh, sure. Well, that's later on. That's when uh, the martini was having its comeback in the 90s with all the uh, quote-unquote teenies, you know, that weren't martinis but right. were called martinis. And all these, mar- these quote-unquote martinis were served in the iconic martini glass that we all, that, that V-shaped conical glass that we all remember. Um, and there uh, were some articles about this come, comeback. And um, the reporters were asking bartenders, why is this? Why, of all the drinks, why are people ordering martinis? And why are they all served in that glass? And, and the bartender's opinion was that it's not the drink. They don't care about the drink. They want the glass. They want to hold the glass in their hand. It makes them look good. And there was this article from 1995 in the Lincoln Journal Star. Where, uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. That's right, Lincoln, <laughs> Nebraska. They're drinking the teenies in Lincoln, Nebraska in 1995. And he asks this salesman, you know, why are you, why are you drinking these drinks? And he says, uh, it gives me a man a sense of style, and that's important. 
I sell tractors. <laughs> so even a tractor salesman can see the appeal of looking good with a drink in his hand. That's right. It's and this a, was, I, I didn't realize off the air, I thought this was much earlier. You said the 1990s. 1990s. This is during the teeny craze when all, there were many, many stories. Uh, the papers were trying to understand why the martini had come back. Right. Um, well, that was at the time also when like everything was a martini. Yeah, you got your, yeah the chocolatini, yeah, the just, raspberry just teeny. Add the word teeny the to the end of anything. Yeah. Very few of the martinis being ordered had uh, gin or vermouth or even vodka and vermouth in them. Right. Yeah. That's the way the daiquiri is in New Orleans. But it, and it's the only, um, and that was a terrible era for martinis, but it, it did perform one service. It kept the name martini in the public's imagination sure, yeah. for 20 years yeah. and did not let them forget it. Mm-hmm. A side note to that, though, it seems counterintuitive that in the 90s that a gentleman would say, it looks good in my hand, mm-hmm. makes me feel stylish, etc. when I feel like very shortly after that we had this whole craze where men wouldn't hold a stemmed glass. That's true. That's true. Did I you touch know. on that at all or no? Did it occur to you? It well, just occurred to me right now. I think that they just went with the trend. The trend was all these teenies, and they were all served in the same kind of glass. Yeah. And so you oh, sort I, of went, I was there. I you, was serving you them. Went with it. You went with it or you didn't go with that. And it sounds like this man was pretty savvy. You know, he was a salesman, and however he's going to sell another tractor, yeah. it doesn't matter. If I have to hold, you know, the raspberry teeny in my hand in order to do it, I'm going to do it. Right, right. I'm going yeah. to bring my guest out to this place in, yeah. in Lincoln, Nebraska, no, woo was, them over cocktails, and I'm going to look stylish while I do it. Back then in the like late 80s, 90s, there were so many articles, so many ads. These, these martini bars appeared in the most remote areas, you know, in Appleton, Wisconsin, or Des Moines, Iowa, you know. It was everywhere. I'm glad you said Des Moines. I pick on Des Moines all the time. It's my city. I've never been to, and I, I like. I, I've never I wreck, been to Des Moines either. I wreck I think it always. I, I think it's I would my, like it. It's my Walla Walla, Washington. You know, I just, <laughs> it's the city I use when I just want to say something about a city. It's because it's right in the middle there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I bet they have some good old bars there. I'm certain of it. Uh, you know, that's the, again, that's the thing. Like, uh, and you know, in your previous book. Uh, a proper drink, right? You talk all about just sort of the history, mainly of what we keep talking about today, the, the cocktail revival or renaissance or whatever we're calling it. Um, but like you do allude to some, some older bars. And, and you do that in your life too, right? I watch your Instagram and you like to hit up old bars. and I love the old bars. Take photos of old signs and old yeah. menus. And I love the new bars. I love the old bars. So do I. Mm-hmm. What do you think about, um, you know, all the, uh, you know, "Quote unquote great dive bars of New York that have been closing lately." You 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 write about that sometimes in uh, in different outlets. Like what do you? Yeah, how do you well, feel they've about been closing that? at a rapid rate. That's been happening for fifteen years. Yeah. Um, there really aren't that many left. I mean, it's it's sad. What can you do about it? You know. Well, you can, I feel like I blame them a little bit, and I don't want to sound like you know the bad guy here, but it's a business, and you can still be your same old divey place. And raise the prices to be commiserate with making yourself survive. Mm-hmm. I think that dive bars get caught up in this trap of they're thinking to themselves, "Well, I can't charge, you know, three dollars for a beer I've charged two dollars for for the past ten years, and I'll lose my customers." No, you won't. You're going to lose them when you're gone. Mm-hmm. So stay alive. Yeah. Like I, well, you can still be beat up and have all the stickers and signs hanging everywhere, and all the all the trappings are still there, but you have to charge a price that makes you stay alive. Well, I think the closure of every dive bar, there's been a different story behind it. Oh, every, the, I mean, that's and, true. And uh, in right? New York, it's, you know, it's brutal, you know. I mean, so Oof. I'm not sure about the uh, economics 
behind each dive bar closing. I think it's a different story every time. I'm certain that it is, but I, I definitely look at these things and then I go look at the menu online or somewhere and I see like, well, of course they went out of business. They don't have a drink on the menu more than $5. Mm-hmm. Like how, how many $5 do you have to sell to make that rent? I, I rent places in New York. It ain't cheap. Yeah. You know, you got to stay true to the business as well as true to your ethos. Yeah, right. I mean, at, at this point, like, what is a dive bar except just kind of like an idea, you know? I mean, it's uh, it's it's an aesthetic. Not To me, like, I don't even think about price when I go to dive bars. I go to dive bars when, like, I don't want to see any external light, and I don't want to necessarily <laughs> put a lot of frontal lobe activity into whatever I happen to be drinking. Like, that to me is, I don't, I don't give a shit if I have to pay the same there as I do at, like, you know, the craft beer place for whatever is in my hand. It's a, it's a state of mind, you know? I, I definitely feel the same way. However, I, I certainly am willing to understand that I'm in a place of, you know, I have the money to do that, right? That is true. But I also, I walk into places that I enjoy. Like, uh, let's use an example that exists. I go to the Tile Bar, which is on 7th uh, and 1st in, in the East Village. Uh, it's a, it doesn't even have a sign that says what, what the name of the bar is. It's just that the, out, the exterior of it is tile. Mm-hmm. So it's just known as the tile bar. Yeah. And I've lived in the East Village for coming up on, in, in and around the East Village for 15 years of my time in New York. And I can still go to that bar and get a High Life for $4 and a, a free pour of chartreuse that usually winds up being well over two ounces for seven. So I can get. Two and a half ounces of chartreuse for seven dollars, and a high life for a four. But how many other people there are drinking chartreuse though? You're right. <laughs> no, I'm definitely breaking the box. But yeah. I'll tell you that high life certainly hasn't been any more than four dollars the whole time I've gone there, in fifteen years. Like that doesn't add up to me, as a business. Like the rent went up, cost of goods went up. Like why didn't this go up? And all I think to myself is I see these articles that you write sometimes, and I'm like, no, oh, Dow Bar is probably on the list soon. Could be, could be. You know, maybe they own the building. I don't know. And as you said, every case is different. But even if they own the building, you have to stay current or you start to strangely devalue yourself. I don't think the owners of dive bars care about being current. I think they like things to stay the same. Yeah, but they don't. Time marches on. (laughs) Like your guests get older and die. Yeah. (laughs) And if you're not generating new guests, you go out of business because of that. But there are those of us who resist the march of time. <laughs> we are very stubborn. Yeah, yeah, we are. And I, that just, that's the problem is like I'm arguing myself because I fit into that same category. Like I, you know, I agonize every time we have to consider raising prices. I agonize every time we have to consider changing something at any of the spaces. Like I, I like things to be the way they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that reliability, that's, that's for me. And probably your customers do too. Uh, indeed, right? But, you know, you got to... They go, they go to your bars for any number of reasons, and you don't know what they are. I know what the, what the reason they don't go there is, though. What? They, they don't go there to have a drink. Ah. I think I'm in the Gary Regan camp here, which he said years ago, people don't go to bars to have a drink. If they wanted a drink, they could buy stuff and go home and drink. Mm-hmm. They go to bars because they want a connection. They want to talk to me. They want to talk to other people. They want to go on a date. They want to try to get laid. They want to celebrate they want to cry they don't go to bars to get a drink it's Mm. much more cheaply and easily done to do that at home yeah so that's why i don't focus on that as much i focus on hospitality i focus on the space i focus on making people feel good Mm -hmm. yeah makes sense i mean makes business (laughs) what's uh do you uh do you sell any martinis at amor and amargo we do um do people ask for them they do you don't uh, have it on the menu. You've never had it on the menu. It's never been on the menu in our eight and a half year history, but we sell a fair amount of them. Yeah. Uh, and our standard is a 50-50 because I like a nice wet martini. Okay. 
Good. So if yeah. you just walked in and ordered a martini, it would be a 50-50 with beef eater, Dolan dry, and a lemon twist. And dash, yeah. and dash a lot of, of the kids love the 50-50. I do, too. It makes an enjoyable drink. Yeah. And it's that, more of an aperitif. It's a, a lighter bodied, lighter alcohol. Yeah. And that brings us back around to what we said right before the break. We talked about, you know, sort of the level playing field of cocktails and, and somewhat standardizing. And then this particular cocktail that you've written an entire book about flaunts itself in the face of standardization. Uh, I said mm-hmm. off the air, and I'll say again, like, you know, no one, no one in my entire bartending career has ever come in and told me they wanted a Manhattan with little to no vermouth. Yes. Meanwhile, that happens all the time with the martini. A Manhattan is either dry vermouth, sweet vermouth, or perfect, which is both. But it's always two to one. Why is it the martini is so infinitely tinkerable? I don't know. It's a bit of a mystery. You know, I guess they had to choose one drink to fight over for 140 years, and they chose the martini. <laughs> um, it, it may have something to do with the fact that it's always been kind of an elite cocktail. Even from the beginning, it was uh, drunk by the upper classes. It was drunk in gentlemen's clubs and private clubs. Whenever you read articles in the first 20 years of the martini's history, it was always oh, so the quote-unquote clubmen, you know, who were drinking the martinis up. Uh, People, you know, like you and me of, 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 of lesser income, we were drinking beer, you know, or, right. or maybe maybe some whiskey. Um, but this was a fancy cocktail. So when you get into those upper echelons, you have the time and the wherewithal to argue about small and insignificant things <laughs> uh, like to the end of life. the day. You know, about like how much gin, how much vermouth. How cold should it be? Should you shake it? Should you stir it? These 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 are arguments for people with with leisure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the sporting clubs. The, the sporting the sporting types. Yes. Um, and uh, you know, again, I feel like that's my whole life, right? That's uh, I, half half my time is spent making drinks, and the other half is spent talking about why we made them that way. <laughs> um, and you know, and then I squeak in some drinking of drinks in there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but but even its origin, right? Uh, the, the beginnings, it was a very sweet cocktail. It was made with Old Tom Gin, which is sweetened. It was made with sweet vermouth instead That's of dry. Right. It was a sweet cocktail at the beginning. Bitters sometimes raise their head and sometimes don't. Like Yeah, uh, which is a shocking idea to people who love martinis today, that it started as a sweet drink. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But uh, it's had a very long roller coaster history. I mean, it, uh, it slowly but surely started becoming a drier cocktail. But that meant different things in the early days. You could say, I want a dry martini. And what you're saying is, I don't want old Tom gin, I want dry gin. Or maybe what you're saying is, I don't want sweet vermouth, I want dry vermouth. Um, or you might even just mean you don't want any simple syrup in your martini. They used to do that. Right, it was gum syrup, right? To give yeah, it some, a little bit of gum texture. syrup. Yeah. That's right. And then it wasn't until just before Prohibition, and then after Prohibition, of course, that dry had to do with the amount of vermouth. So less and less vermouth meant more and more dry. And it was really, it was really a term that was like kind of borrowed from champagne, you know. Sure, yeah. Dry champagne. Well, yeah, we, we yeah. mix and mingle all the wine terms into mm-hmm. the cocktail terms, and it's, sometimes it's effective, sometimes it confuses people endlessly, but, you know, it's all liquid, so we can, I think we can apply those terms. But, I mean, it, it was until, I mean, even in like the, uh, the 30s and 40s, if you looked in cocktail books, there would be recipes for dry martini, medium martini, sweet martini. They were still common, and there were people walking around who drank sweet martinis, and they liked them that way. Crazy people. Crazy people. They don't well, exist on the earth anymore. I, I, I beg to differ. I'm sure they <laughs> <Yeah>. do. <laughs> I'm sure they do, but they probably have to hide themselves, right? You, you talked to me about, a, 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 a what is it, the South American version of the martini, which is called a... Yeah, I went down to Buenos Aires last year, 
and I was shown um, this wonderful old book uh, from 1950, which was published in Argentina, and it was by the leading um, mixologist of the era. And uh, the person showed me, says, look through that whole book, and you will not... Fede Cucco, right? Um, that showed you? No, no, no. It, oh. It was, a, it was someone else. Um, uh, and I uh, said, you will not find a recipe for a martini in that book. And I said, how's that possible? But you will find a recipe for something called a clarito. Right. And that's basically a martini, only it had a sugar rim. So, gin, dry vermouth, vermouth sugared rim. Any, uh, yeah. Any bitters or... Uh, I think bitters, yeah. I think orange bitters. And, but a, sugared, um, a half-sugared rim, right, in the photo I saw. Yeah. Well, that was, I think that was my suggestion for those who, <laughs> who are probably legion, who don't want a sugared <laughs> rim on their martini. Yeah. Um, so, you know, get a half rim, and then you can try it, and then if you don't like it, you go over to the other side. When you say uh, if, you mean win. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't and know, though. So, I mean... so that drink existed, but then it faded away. And then there was a, a bartender down there named Federico Cucco who uh, led a campaign about 10 years ago, Bring Back the Clarito. And now the Clarito is back, and you can order it anywhere in uh, Buenos Aires. Still comes with a sugared rim? No. It's just a martini. It's just a martini. But that's, they, how, that's what they call it. Yes, that's right. It's so, a dry martini with a twist. So even more bastardization, we're just going to change the damn name of the thing. Uh-huh. Like, uh, that's crazy, right? And then there's this notion of drier and drier and drier, mm-hmm. right? I don't know why that came around in the first place. Is it because we we got better at making gin that wasn't you know rough and coarse and terrible, and so we just started shrinking the amount of softener? I think of the vermouth as the softener here. I think there were a lot of reasons. I think after Prohibition, a lot of the bartenders lost their skill and their knowledge. Maybe a lot of vermouth was left out, and it spoiled, so yeah. people associated vermouth with that bad taste. And if you're so listening to this, vermouth belongs in the fridge. Yeah. And uh, I think we were just a harder drinking country and, you know, post-World War II. A lot of men coming back, you know, from serving overseas and, you know, they, they perhaps wanted to drown their sorrows. They wanted a strong drink. But there's another theory that I, I detail in my book that some bartenders had the theory that the people who ordered dry martinis were chiselers. Yes. They were cheap <laughs> because they wanted more gin, less vermouth. So they're getting more for their money, paying the same amount getting a lot more alcohol. Yeah, and how did, I, like, you can chime in as well, Greg. Like, I've worked at places that did that in the past. I don't understand why we did it. We just did it. If someone ordered a martini, we'd give them, you know, whatever ratio was the house spec. Uh, and, but if they said they wanted it dry or extra dry or extra, extra dry, they would just get more gin. Well, that's that's why I buy the tiny coops. Mm. <laughs> that's what those are for. Right, but you're still you still giving... If you want your, your gin stirred and cold in a stemmed glass, here you go. Right. You're not getting the, the big. You're not getting the Oliver big V. Twist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, because I mean, cause if you order, looks, you you're you're in a no-win scenario there. Either you put it in a big in the same glassware as normal, and it's way less, and it looks cheap, or like you said, you basically give them twice as much spirit for the same amount of money. Yeah, I think we diluted it a little harder, but still. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't maybe twice as much, but it was definitely like a lot more. Well, we were discussing this yesterday about like in the the new era where bartenders like you wanted to serve drinks in smaller glasses, you know, to make them more um, approachable and also to make them colder for a longer period of time. The kind of glass that was used in the old days, not these fish bowls that came around, you know, in the 70s. Yeah. Um, but of course, the customer's always going to feel cheated. They see this small three ounce serving in front of them and it's like, where, where is my drink? And so the sidecar 
was yeah. the answer to that. It pleased both the bartender because, you know, it looked stylish. You could keep the rest of it on the side and keep it cold. And, and, and the customer could look at it and say, okay, now I've got a full serving here. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all perception, right? Uh, but I, you know, I just want it to be good and right. You know, when I, and I do, I love steak. I love steak houses. And when I go to one, I'm going to probably get a Gibson. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a, definitely a martini variation. Yes, it uh, is. And then uh, and it comes out in this big bowl, but like, I'm a pretty expert. I'm going to go right and say it. I'm an expert drinker. I know how to do it pretty well. <laughs> and like getting to the bottom of that thing before it's like thick and warm and not so good anymore yes. is an effort. Mm-hmm. That's gets- why I like a smaller glass. Yeah. Smaller glass, smaller price, but order them you know, in, in succession mm-hmm. and then control your own intake. Yeah, yeah the, the drink decreases in quality in those big classes. Once it exactly. starts getting, there's nothing worse than a warm martini. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, every, there, there's no drink that needs to be cold uh, more than a martini does. It's very, very important. Right, and I think yeah. to maintain that, it needs to be relatively small so that it stays frosty all the way to the end, you know? It's like, yeah. it's like if I'm in a bar that, uh, that sells High Life Ponies, I'm all about the pony. Ah. Like, that beer is not going to get cold before I'm done with it. <laughs> it's seven ounces. <laughs> You know, it's a pony race. We'll knock them down fast. That's right. That's um, right. Well, Robert, it's been a delight having you on the show today to talk about your new book, which is available starting when? Tomorrow? Uh, no, no. It is released on September 17th, so six days from now. Outstanding. Um, and you're doing a book launch here in New York City on Monday, though, right? Yes. And that'll be... Do you want to talk about where that is? You're well, looking, yeah, thank you for announcing that private event to the public. Oh, but did I? <laughs> Uh, so there, that's yeah. I can't tell everyone about that. Well, fuck them. <laughs> you can't come. It's exclusive. That's what people love. They love exclusive stuff. It's yeah. just a little party, you know. Yeah. with some friends to cool. uh, honor the launch of the book. And you'll be drinking some martinis. I'm certain there will be some martinis. Yes. Can you pre-order this thing? Is it out there on pre-orders? Oh, yeah. You can uh, pre-order it at your local bookstore or on the uh, ubiquitous Amazon, of course. Uh huh. Um, it's it's there. Yeah. yeah. Well, everybody go out and order Robert's book, The Martini Cocktail. Um, uh, leave some positive reviews on there for him because, uh, you know, that always helps uh, us authors get more sales uh, and more interest in people. Yeah, you're thinking like an author now. I know, you? I know. I'm working on book two. <laughs> yeah. uh, it also helps us get more interest from people to write the next book, you know. It's, uh, right. And, and I, I think you agree. Uh, you make your living writing for, for, for the paper and, and other outlets. I I, I'm certain you don't make a ton of money on these books because I didn't make any on mine. <laughs> Maybe I'm doing it wrong. Um, but, uh, yeah, g- uh, go out there and buy the book. Uh, if anyone wanted to get in touch with you, and the more important part, if you wanted anyone to get in touch with you, how could they do so? Uh, there is a website, uh, robertsimonson.net. You can reach me there. Yeah, and you also, you're on Instagram, and you take some cool photos. I of am on bars. the Instagram, yes. That's the only social media I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's just your name, right? Robert Simonson? Uh, Robert O. Simonson. Oh, yeah, the, the Irish version. Yeah, Robert O. Simonson. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thanks for uh, uh, being here with us. Uh, as always, uh, you're, you're a great friend and a great champion of everything it is that we uh, in this business do, and we appreciate you being out there and preaching the gospel to the masses. Um, that's it for this week's Speakeasy. Thanks, for everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you yeah. soon. Thanks to both of you. Anytime. Cheers. Cheers. Want more of the Speakeasy? Follow us and ask questions on Instagram at Speakeasy Podcast or on Twitter at Speakeasy Radio. You can find Damon at Damon Bolte, and you can find me at Creative Drunk on all platforms. Take a moment to write us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform and give us a star rating, five if possible. If you're visiting New York City or a resident, stop by the studio and hang out with us during an episode. Reach out beforehand to make sure we'll be here. We'd love to see you. And please support our show by visiting heritageradionetwork.org and clicking on the beating heart to donate. 
So you don't charm the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that's him. It's gonna get you some in the end. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>